Would you please stand out of reverence for God's Word as we read His Word together? Matthew chapter 25, beginning in verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in His glory, and all the angels with Him, He will sit on His glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before Him, and He will separate the people one from another, as the shepherd separates the sheep and the goats. He will put the sheep on his right hand and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father. Take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, truly, I say, I tell you, Whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Then he'll say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed into eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. They will also answer the Lord. Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick and in prison and did not help you? He will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. You may be seated. You know, in every story that Jesus tells, whether you look at this as a story or as a parable, there's always a punchline. There's always a surprising line that Jesus uses. And in this passage, it shows up twice. You can see it at the top of the screen right there in the middle of verse 45. Whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did for me. It was surprising to those also who had fed the poor, who had visited the prisons. When Jesus said, when you did it to them, you did it for me. And so this morning as we examine this passage, there's, there's three things that I'd like us to do. I'd like us to first of all look at this surprising twist in the passage. And, and then second, I want us to look at what I call some obvious and yet uncomfortable facts we find here. And then at the close of this message, we're going to talk about a troubling question that is obvious in this text that we've got to deal with. Let's start with the surprising twist. Here's the surprise. Jesus evaluates our love for him by the way we treat the least. You see that? I mean, when the the judgment day came, Jesus says, the way you treated the least of the brothers and sisters... That's the way you actually treated me. 
Now, who are the brothers and sisters? Some would say these are Christians. Some would say this is all God's creation. I don't think it matters a lot. Galatians 6.10 says we are to do good to all men, especially those of the household of faith. And Jesus says the way you treated them ends up being the way you treat me. You see, the way you treat the people around you moves God's heart. Any of you that are parents, you understand this. When someone treats your child in a special way, when someone goes out of their way to serve your child, to rescue your child, to love your child, there's nothing that a parent that touches you anymore. But listen, Jesus takes this a step further. He says not only does this touch the father's heart, but this becomes the very way that you treat him. That's a pretty common theme in scripture. The way you treat people is the way you treat God. You remember when Saul of Tarsus found that out on the road to Damascus when he is struck by light and the voice of Jesus says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Saul could have said, Jesus, I'm not persecuting you. You're there. I'm here. And Jesus says to persecute my people is to persecute me. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 7 says to those of us who serve, serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord. What's he saying? The way you serve at your workplace, in your community, in your home, in this church is also the way you serve the Lord. So there's the twist. Here's the twist. The twist is the way you treat the least, the down and out, is the way that you treat God himself. Now, here are some obvious and I must say uncomfortable facts in this story that we must face. Obvious. And I'm not going to try to to hold back on the impact of this passage. Not going to try to soften the blow. Because I believe when Jesus tells a story like this, Jesus tells a story like this to get our attention. Fact number one. There is a judgment day. There will be a day of evaluation when your life and your actions will be brought before God. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 10 agrees with this. For we must all stand before the judgment seat of Christ to be recompensed for the deeds we have done in our bodies, whether our works were good or bad. There's going to be an evaluation. You know where you work. That people work better when there's an evaluation. It's come up quite frequently lately in the talks with Iran and North Korea, an old Ronald Reagan line, is you negotiate about peace and about weapons. You trust, but you what? Verify. All of us look be- work better in an environment where we are trusted and yet our work is verified. Even in a church setting like this, it is our goal that every one of our staff members, every one of us, is evaluated and given an evaluation once a year. We do better when we know there's an evaluation coming. And guys, eternally in our life, there's going to be a life evaluation where you are going to stand before God and you are going to give an account for your deeds. That's what this passage teaches. That's what 2 Corinthians chapter 5 teaches. Now here's the question is, do you believe this? How long has it been since you heard a sermon on the judgment day? How long has it been since you've even thought about the judgment day? 
that one day you will give an account of your life. This passage makes it very plain that that is going to happen. And I'm telling you, my friends, that is a fact that you would rather face today than later. Fact number two. On that day, there will only be two groups of people and only two eternal destinations. Only two groups of people and only two eternal destinations. You see, Jesus uses a very familiar picture to these people. Sheep and goats. During the day, they would all graze together. But at the end of the day, they would be rounded up and the goats would be brought into a warm place because they were not as heavily uh, clothed, you might say. And so the goats would be taken to a warm place and the sheep could be left outside and then the next day they'd be back together. What's Jesus saying? At, At this point, we're all together. But there will come a day of separation. There will come a day when God calls in and says, you know, there's only going to be two groups of people here. There are going to be the sheep who go to my right, and there are the goats who go to the left, and they will be separated. Now, here's the deal right now, guys, is we don't know who the sheep and goats are. It's like the parable of the tares and the wheat. It, it all stays together. It all grows together. And then the sheep and goats, it all grazes together. But there comes a day when they're separated. And the Bible teaches here, Jesus says, there's going to be a day when there's going to be a great separation. And the thing that you and I need to understand is there's only two options. There's not a third option. Either you will go to eternal life or you will go for eternal damnation. That's what he said. And again, you'd do better to face that fact now than later. Fact number three. You will be judged by the way you treat the overlooked and ignored. You'll be judged by the way you treat the overlooked and ignored. That's the message translation of the least. The overlooked and the ignored. And notice this. And I'm not telling you that any of the things I'm about to mention are not important. But they weren't mentioned. He did not say you're going to be judged by your knowledge of the Bible. He did not say you're going to be judged by your moral purity. He did not say you'll be judged by your church attendance. He did say you'll be judged by the way you treat the least. That's what he said. You'll be judged, good or bad, by the way you do good to those that are the least. Now, he gives us six groups of people here. Pretty interesting. The hungry the thirsty, the stranger, the naked, the sick, and the imprisoned. You know, interesting if you look over that list, we like to believe those are an old-fashioned list that doesn't count, but just the very first one. Do you realize in America today that one and out of every eight people in America, almost 50 million people are hungry today in America? And we look at the the rest of the list and and we we see the stranger, the imprisoned, the sick all around us. Now, I I don't think this is an exhaustive list. For instance, I think uh, of what we're talking about with Orphan Care Sunday. I think, you know, that would belong on this list. I think that's one of the overlooked and ignored. I think we could all... uh, 
discuss other people that, that belong on this list, but this is, this is a pretty good list. Now, what I like about this list is this is just an everyday list of ways that you can serve people. Nothing on this list says you've got to have a certain level of intelligence or knowledge or skill set or abilities. It just says you go out and you care about the people that other people aren't caring about. Now, here's the scary thing, guys. In the culture that we live in, we tend to want to stay away from these people, don't we? You know, I I want my life to be as as nice as possible. So so I've been trying, if possible, some of us would probably say, I would be too uncomfortable to walk into a prison. I actually see hear people say, I don't I don't visit hospitals. It just it just gets to me. So we um we try to divorce ourselves. We we'd rather um a lot of these folks be locked up and then on good measure we'd rather be in a gated community. And so uh we move further and further from the problem. I'm not criticizing anybody. I live in East Montgomery. But we're going to move further and further out of town, further and further from the bad neighborhoods, further and further from the people that we're afraid could hurt us. And I talk also to our church in Birmingham. The, the same thing happens in Birmingham. You You go further. And guys, for many of us, here's what we're able to do. We are actually able to isolate ourselves from these kind of problems. We can get in our own little conclave and and we can be okay. And I'm not saying you're wrong by where you live. I'm just saying, guys, if we're going to be obedient to Jesus Christ, we've got to find some way for our families to engage the people that Jesus says we're going to be judged by the way we treat, by the way we treat them. We're going to have to do different. Because Jesus says this is the basis of judgment. How do you treat these people? We must, and that's what I love about this, this message series that we're going through right now. We must intercede on their behalf. This whole series of the next few weeks, we're going to be talking about this word intercede, which means simply to act or to intervene on behalf of someone in difficulty or trouble. That's these six people. Now, here's what I want you to understand about this, guys. This is God's heart. Any theologian will tell you that if you read the Bible closely, and if you wanted to say God has a bias for anybody, God has a bias for the poor. He does. If you want to say God treats everybody the same, maybe. But if you'd like to say God favors anybody, it's the down and out. I mean, listen to a couple passages here. Isaiah chapter 58. Is not this the kind of fasting I've chosen? What kind of worship do you really prefer, Lord? To loose the chains of injustice, to untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wonderful, the, the poor wanderer shelter? And when you see the naked to clothe them? He said, that's... That's the kind of worship I really prefer. I I like what you guys are doing here this morning, but but it it would be better for me if you were out there. Listen to this passage, Jeremiah chapter 22, verse 16. He defended the cause of the poor and needy, and so all went well. Is that not what it means to know me? 
Wow, what does it mean to know the Lord? It means to have the heart that God has for the underprivileged, the down and out, the overlooked, and the ignored, the least. That's what God has. Because we see evidence of this. When Jesus walks the earth, what group of people is he the happiest with? It's not the religious uptight people. He is most happy, and we're uncomfortable with this maybe, with the prostitute. He is most happy with the person whose life is completely broken. That he, can, he gets most fired up when he's dealing with that Samaritan woman who's five-time divorced. Why? Because God has a special heart for the down and out, for the people that are hurting. And our question this morning that we must answer, is that our heart? You know, it's really easy just to blame these people. It's their fault they're hungry. They're not working. It's their fault they're in prison. They broke the law. Or maybe it's easier for us to debate this issue. What role should our government play? Should the government be involved in this? We're creating a culture of dependency? Or should the government be more involved in this? And probably your political persuasion would answer that question. But that's easy to do, guys. It's easy for us to blame. It's easy for us to debate. It's easy for us to separate into our own little places. It's easy for us to say, you know, I can't let somebody in my house. My house is too small. Or my house is not nice enough. It's easy to say I'm not going to open up my wallets because I don't trust God enough to believe that he's going to bless me if I do it. It's easy to say, even coming to a church like this, I want to be in a small group, but I want to be in a small group that with people that are like me. I get uncomfortable with some of the, the people that are so much different than me. I've heard that. It's easy for us to say, I'm not going to handle the stranger. I mean, you think I'm going to bless some stranger out here? My goodness. Some of you won't even walk 10 feet during the greeting to greet a stranger in this audience. More or less to go work on a stranger out there. Because I'm not trying to be ugly. I'm just trying to do this passage justice. Because this is what it says. This is not a passage you can explain away. And that's what excites me so much about, about next Sunday as we pray for our city. That's going to be an incredible event. You're going to be so blessed at 9 o'clock service by our guest speaker. You, you, you just got to be here. 10.30, same thing's going to happen. Then we're going to gather down at the Capitol steps at 4 o'clock, right in the center of our city. And, and, and I challenge you to be there. And then when we get through the, uh, an assembly there, Before we even start our assembly, we're going to have the Compassion 21 singers to sing. And they're doing some amazing things. It's the most interracial chorus in Montgomery, Alabama. And you're going to hear a story right at the beginning of the way they went to a historic place in this city and blew them away. And then we're going to go to these prayer stations. Let me show you the list of all the different prayer stations we're going to go to. We can go to the Board of Education. Anybody in this audience afraid about our school system? Raise your hand. We're going to go to Brantwood about the orphans. We're going to go to Rosa Parks Museum about unity and racial reconciliation. The the most beautiful place in in America where racial reconciliation should happen, could happen, is here in Montgomery, Alabama. 
We're going to go to the police department and pray about crime, but pray even further about our families because we know it's the breakdown of the family that's the true cause of the crime rate being what it is. It's not a superficial rate. We'll go to Compassion 21 and pray for the poor. We'll go to City Hall and pray for our city leaders. We'll go to the Chamber of Commerce and pray about the local economy. Guys, people are worn out. I mean, honestly, I look at many of you. You have been beaten down by this economy. You, you are struggling and working two jobs and trying to make ends meet because we, we all are living in a new reality. And, and you have a choice of going to, to one of those places next Sunday afternoon to pray. Now, here's the question i got to ask you. Is there we can be at a count on you to be there? If you've ever complained or been worried or concerned about any one of these things, any one of these, Can you give me a legitimate excuse that you wouldn't be there for us to pray about these things? Now, I've tried to learn as I've gotten older to pick my battles a little bit more wisely. I used to pick battles by every church activity. I don't do that anymore. I wasn't upset with any of you that you didn't make it to the big whopping party. I sort of hated you weren't there. I thought you missed something really good. And my natural inclination is I'd like to be upset with you, but I made my mind up. I'm not going to be upset about this. But I'm going to tell you today, I'm going to be upset if you're not there next Sunday. Because I'm sick of the complaints. I'm sick of all of us saying this is not the way it's supposed to be. And then we got a chance to go talk to Almighty God about it. And we're going to stay home and watch something on TV. Or we can't miss the football game. He said, well, buddy, you know, the, the truth is, I really don't care if you're upset or not. That's okay. But here's what I do want to tell you. I think God does care. And some of us have just gotten spiritually lazy. And we're going to do the minimum. And my friends, if we won't go pray about this, you think we're going to open our homes and our lives and our wads to help with this? I challenge you. I challenge you. We want to count on you next Sunday. This is a battle I think worth picking. Because this displays the heart of God. Well, we've got to finish up with one more thing. And this is a difficult part of this passage. There, there's a troubling question to do with this, this passage, okay? I mean, you, you've heard it all the way through. Here's the troubling question. Is Jesus teaching salvation by works? On, on surface, it appears that way, doesn't it? You're going to be judged by what you do. Even the passage I quoted earlier from the Apostle Paul, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 10. One day we will all appear before the judgment seat of Christ to receive our recompense for the deeds we've done in the body, whether good or bad. Paul wrote that. But Paul also wrote in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, You are saved by grace through faith, not by works, so that no one can boast. So what do we have here? And Jesus, what are you doing? I mean, Jesus, you talk about grace all the time. You, you display grace and then you come to the judgment scene and you say, you're going to be judged here by whether you treated people right by your actions. Pretty tough dilemma, isn't it? Let me tell you what I think the answer is. 
Your care for the least is evidence that you have received and understood God's grace. It's evidence. It, 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 it reveals what you really believe. Because listen to me, do we really believe there's a judgment day? If, if, you, if you really believe it, my goodness, just that one fact we've given would change the way you live your life because you know one day it's going to be evaluated. I mean, the, the question is, do we believe? If we believe, we act. Oh, that, that's a, I think Jesus is agreeing with James chapter 2. Faith without works is dead. Well, what, what's that saying? He's not telling your works are more important than your faith. Or he's not saying that your works save you. Neither is Jesus saying your works save you. What he is saying, though, is that if you really have received the grace, if you really believe this, it is going to come out in your actions. There's going to be some evidence. Oh, you remember that story Jesus told about the man that was in jail because he's a debtor and he owed, like in our dollars, a million dollars? And God is so gracious to him. And, and, and God forgives his debt. That's the picture. And yet the guy goes out, and there's a man that owes him $15, and he throttles him to get the money back. And God says, you're going back to jail forever. What, what, what's the point is, this man had been given so much grace, and yet he's not willing to extend it to somebody else. He doesn't get it. And that, that's what Jesus is saying here, is if we get it, if we understand how gracious God has been to us, if we understand how loving God's been to us, it's going to come out in our life. You can't help it, guys. We say, well, these people in prison, they deserve it. And these people are hungry, they deserve it. Well, listen to me. You deserve to go to hell. And God forgave you. So this deserving business has nothing to do with it. You see, what Jesus is wanting is an inner transformation. That his grace is not just some superficial idea out here. Oh, saved by grace, I can do what I want to do. Oh, man, saved by grace, I can only do what he wants me to do. We serve because we've been served. We love because we've been overwhelmingly loved. We give because we've been given the greatest gift. We lift up because we've been lifted up out of our sinful life. So can I ask you, by the evidence of your actions, do you get it? Now, I love this story. And one reason I believe that this story is not teaching a works-based salvation is because the group that saved and the group that lost, they have no idea that they're doing it for Jesus. The motivation of the saved people to, to go serve the needy and those in prison, and those that are hungry or naked, it, it was not because they thought Jesus, they were doing it to Jesus. They didn't know that. They were shocked by it. It was just an outgrowth of their faith. In fact, in fact, they would say, if only we had known. It had been so much better if we had known. Listen, guys. Here's the difference in them and us. We know. We know. We know. That when we serve the overlooked and ignored, 
the down and out, the least, we serve God. Whatever you thought of her theology, you had to respect Mother Teresa's life. That was the point of her life. That she would serve the poorest of the poor and the lowest of the low. And here's what she believed. She believed that when she did that, she could see the face of Jesus in the poor. And that brings me to what I really don't want to talk about this morning. Most of you are aware that this Friday night, Jordan Northern and passed from this life. Jordan was just 21 years old. She got cancer when she was 13. She beat it three times. Awful ordeals. Last spring, she had a bone marrow transplant. Everything looked great. And then she got pneumonia. And of all things, the swine flu. And this little fighter. Lost the battle. But she won the war. And I look over here at this section because that, that's where most of the northern, that's where the northern and sit on Sunday, and that's where a lot of their friends are. And I see so many of you, and you have been Jesus to her. You have been Jesus to Jay and Kim and to Peyton, her little sister. I was at the hospital Friday night in Birmingham. We're, we're up there at midnight, and there are 30 or 40 of you. And I'm telling you, you are doing the work of Jesus. But here's the really awesome deal in the middle of this awful deal that I don't understand that, quite frankly, I'm angry about. Is in the middle of this, in Jordan Northington, we saw the face of Jesus. We saw the face of Jesus. I've never seen anybody face anything with more courage, more faith, more battle, more spunk, more gumption, more pluck than this little girl. And if you were part of it, and so many of you were part of it, as you've served her, and if you've served her mom and dad and her sister, the promise of this story is that you have seen the face of Jesus. So, this is a strong story. I love the story of a, a Roman soldier, his name was Martin of Tours. He walked into a city and there was a, a poor man begging for money and he had no money so he turned the man down. But what he did have was his soldier's coat and he took his coat and he ripped it in two and he gave it to the, um, the beggar. 
That night, Martin went to sleep, and he had a dream. And in that dream, he's in heaven, and he sees Jesus. And Jesus is wearing that half coat. And he witnesses someone walk up to Jesus in heaven and say, why are you wearing that coat? Where did you get that? And, and Jesus says, I'm wearing this coat because I got it from my friend Martin. Because that's what happens when we serve out of a graceful heart, out of a, a heart that's been transformed. Here's the most awesome thing is we get to serve Jesus. Now I've got to ask one more question. If you were to evaluate the last month of your life, this is so blunt, but it's, it's just there, guys. Would you be a sheep or a goat? How have you treated? How have you treated the least? How have you treated the overlooked and the ignored? Whether it's a single lady at the restaurant who blew your order, or it's the child at your school who nobody wants included in the group, or the person at your work who just gets on your last nerve, or the person at church that's the drug addict that is so different than you, or the child who has no parents and yet causes disruption in the Bible class. How have you treated them? How have I treated them? Can I ask you this? Do you like the direction you're going? Has God's grace so permeated your heart that it's coming out? If not, why don't you do something about it? Why don't you do something about it right now while we stand together and sing?